0: strength for your spirit balm for your heart The Healing and Peace Show with Thomas Schmier, LMFT where you get wise counsel based on sacred scripture sacred tradition and sound science The Healing and Peace Show your Catholic guide through the trials of life Are you a woman who has been emotionally or physically battered by the important man or men in your life? Today's guest is here to offer direction and encouragement for you. Or are you perhaps a father who knows that he is overly critical of his daughter, but just can't help himself? Today's guest is here to inspire you too. She's here to inspire you to let your daughter know that she's lovable just as she is. When the important men in a girl or woman's life are emotionally abusive, the net result can be an eating disorder. Today's guest knows all about eating disorders, having experienced one herself. She is a graduate of Seton Hall University, where she was a Division II runner and soccer player and is the founder of Made in His Image, a ministry for women recovering from eating disorders and abuse. And this ministry was inspired from her own story. Maura Presler, welcome to the Healing and Peace Show.
1: Thank you, Thomas. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome, my honor. I found you through Twitter. I was I saw that you were doing a similar message that I was sending a similar message, one that made, it, made a whole lot of sense to me. And you were focusing on uh, lifting up women's self-esteem, reminding them that they're lovable. And can you tell us a little more about what you're doing on Twitter?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I, eight years ago, I founded Made in His Image which is a nonprofit that helps women in their journeys of recovery from eating disorders and abuse. So we are on various um, social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, So I travel and speak to share my story, um, to offer hope and healing for women in their, wherever they are, their journeys of recovery. But our social media is really meant to um, be a positive, you know, outlet for women to be able to turn to that and see something positive because there's so so many negative um outlets in social media you know social media can be used for such a great thing but when a woman is just constantly scrolling um instagram you're just bombarded with all these photoshopped images these perfect you know these perfect models and all these poses and a woman wants to wants to attain that she wants to attain what's Society is telling her is perfection. So, my social media, I'm trying to um, just be a light in the darkness, offer truth and wisdom to these women, and hopefully inspire them to just cultivate the real beauty within them and to see their worth and their dignity as a daughter of God, not because not not what they weigh or how they look, but just their inherent goodness, and to shine that. Um, it's all that they encounter.
0: I come from Racine, Wisconsin, where I think it's okay for a woman to just to be normal, to be to kind of look like a mom before you marry her. You know you it's okay if she just hangs out with you at the bar watching a Packers game and she's wearing her Packers gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Little bit different out here in California. You you come from New Jersey. Uh, what was it like there? What's the how are women accepted in uh, New Jersey?
1: I mean, Calif- California definitely, I think, is like a whole, a whole another standard. But um, I was only in New Jersey until I was twenty. And it was definitely difficult, um, as you said. I was, I was a runner and an athlete, so my group of friends, you know, we were constantly being compared to. You know the next best best athlete that was out there, so it was really hard to be in such a pressure filled culture where you know it was like the best you could be, were, you know thirty seconds off your mile, a minute off your mile, the less that you weigh, um, which you'll find that you'll find that anywhere. Um, definitely, you'll find those um, pressures of being a woman in any state that you're in, but there are definitely more states that are you know more. Culture saturated, I feel like, for sure.
0: Absolutely. I can see that with being in sports, it's not just competitive on the track or soccer field. Were you at Division I soccer also? Is that right?
1: No, I played Division Three soccer. So I went to um, a small school, the College of St. Elizabeth in Marristown, New Jersey, as a freshman. And I, I played soccer because they didn't have a cross country team. And then I transferred to Cedar Hall.
0: So- before I was feeling kind of down because I was a division two runner and you're a division one runner, but now I heard you're a division three soccer player. So I think with being division one runner and division three soccer, (laughs) you equal division two. It all kind of evens out. (laughs) Is that okay with you? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you're hearing in me, there's this pecking order for people who are collegiate athletes, and we're always comparing. And you said a minute off your mile time, and so I'm thinking, oh, I want to brag about my mile time. If I took a minute off, I'd be the world's fastest man ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, a minute you know, is
1: a lot. <laughs>
0: minute is a lot, right? And but it's not just about minute. And I remember uh, one minute. I remember talking to the women on the women's cross country team, and you know, some of them honestly were overweight and it i think it did hurt their performance and uh i've heard the women complain about the coach uh t- focusing so much on food and and what they were eating i think it's important to optimize you know the way you're eating it has it has an effect on on your performance but Absolutely. there's a no way to go about it and a no way not to what was your experience with that
1: you know um I definitely agree with what, 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 with what you're saying. And I've heard a lot of horror stories about coaches, um, especially in cross country running and um, gymnastics and ballet are the three of the major sports for women, um, with eating disorders. But I actually had an amazing coach. Um, I had such love and respect for him. He, um, he was so positive. He never teared um, the women down if we were not comfortable um, being weighed in front of the other athletes. Like, he was, he was amazing. He, I could tell that he really got it. Um, and he knew the women on the team that were struggling with binge eating, um, over exercising. And he really, you know, he never, he never ridiculed um, them in front of the whole team. He always pulled them aside privately and tried to offer them, you know, proper nutrition. Um, made sure they were seeing a counselor, etc. I was one of those women. Um, but like I said, I, I I had an amazing experience, and I wish more coaches were like him. He was he was incredible.
0: Uh, I'm glad to hear it. I I was weighed. Uh, also and I also they used a caliper I think
1: Uh yeah
0: caliber and they measured my fat content Mm -hmm. I think I was the fattest on the team (laughs) it's hard you know and and I have to immediately come back with a positive statement like yeah but I had more muscle I was the strongest I was built different you know because I can't handle being the the fat you know having eight percent body fat is humiliating yeah Uh, it's a whole different world. So you were actually weighed weighed. That was a part of the thing.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We were weighed um several times a week. Yeah, after a
0: week. That's unbelievable. Yeah. What is that for?
1: Just to keep track of um yeah, I guess our our performance or just to track how we were doing. Yeah
0: wow wow well, and that's probably the difference between division 1 and division 2 right there
1: <laughs> yeah definitely the weighing
0: weighed <laughs> once and then 4 years um, okay so then from after college you moved to uh, nashville i did, yeah how did you, wh- why did you pick nashville
1: yeah so i um i grew up in a very abusive and dysfunctional home And I really sought to find my identity and my worth in who I was as an athlete because I was really good at at sports and I always found, um, I just found like I was good at it. So I I placed so much of my worth and identity in in competing and um, I developed a very serious eating disorder um, in eighth grade. And I can go into more of that later, but just how I got to Nashville, um, I, I, I got help from my eating disorder in high school. Um, in college, I really, again, started struggling again with binge eating. And so binge eating is a little different than anorexia because, you know, it may not appear like this person is really struggling. They could be the same way. Oftentimes those who are struggling with binge eating, they have like five to 10 extra pounds on them because they're just eating at such um, enormous rates and their body can't process uh, the food that they're eating. So I was struggling with binge eating in college. After college, I got um, a full psyche valve. I was really struggling with, at the time, um, I know I was struggling with depression and PTSD but I just didn't I didn't know like what PTSD was and how it was registering um, and taking control of my life so I would have horrible nightmares um, wake up in the middle of the night screaming um, and so I wanted to I wanted to just get a full psych valve to be like what is going on you know here I am at 22 years old I don't I don't, I didn't know, I didn't have the wisdom to look back and be like, okay, this is what I needed. So, um, I got the psychic valve. I was diagnosed with depression and chronic PTSD and a borderline personality disorder. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a very common, um, disorder in victims of trauma and abuse. It's a very, um, come here, but I'm going to push you away type mechanism. So people want close relationships, but they don't know how to foster them, so they push people away. And looking back, I see um, the close relationships in my life, they were, it was just very volatile, you know, it was very, very up and down, and um, so looking back, I can see that my, um, my disorder was really controlling my life and my relationships. And gave me, um, like I said, a full psych valve. So it was two days of evaluation. And then three weeks later, I went back um, and they told me all of my results for the um, evaluation. And they recommended that I leave New Jersey, which was the source of so much trauma and abuse for me, and just separate myself from my family. Um, I'm one of seven children, so I was the first uh child to I mean I wasn't a child but at the time but um, out of the seven to really come out and say what had happened Um, so only my sister supported me you know I had no support from anyone else and um, you know everyone was like you're crazy that didn't happen all these things Um, so they saw that my family was not supportive and you know I have to just get away from that just start a new life And they, they found me a psychologist in Nashville, Tennessee, and they sent over, um, the, you know, my evaluations and my psych eval, and they were like, I really think you should give him a call and see if he's, you know, taking new patients. Um, they gave me a couple other names as well, but everything with Nashville, um, it just kind of seemed to line up. Like I had a group of friends that were living there, um, and when I called them, they had a house of five women, and they they had no room in their house. Um, but then the next day, some, one of the girls had pulled out of their of the housing, so they were like, "We have a room." Like you, should, it just kind of everything just lined up. So I called this doctor. I called him. I spoke on the phone with him for ten minutes. And he was super positive and he was like, Yeah, I know. I I really believe that I can help you. Um, I was really scared. Um, Here I am, 22 years old. I have no job, um, no savings, um, no support. I only have the support of my sister. Um, I was terrified to move. You know, Nashville is, you know, half the country away, basically. Um, And so I just, grappled with like what should I do here and I spent a lot of time in prayer Um, I was I said yes and then I kind of like took it back and said no and I knew that was like my borderline personality disorder kind of um, manifesting itself and but what was helpful for me was once I knew what a borderline personality disorder was I could be like okay I can identify what I'm doing here but whereas before I had no idea why I would make these sudden plans and then just like pull back. Um, of course, you know, it's only natural to be afraid and scared, but I knew God was telling me that he was going to be there for me. He had a plan for me and he wanted this healing for me and he had amazing things in store for me. And just sitting here, I literally get like the chills just thinking about it because it's just, it was such a Holy Spirit moment. Um, and I said yes, and I knew God was going to take care of me even though I was terrified. So I packed what I owned into my little Honda Accord. If it didn't fit, I got rid of it. And I drove to Nashville by myself, um, 18 hours. And I remember at one point, halfway into the trip, I just got this like flood of fear um, that just came over me. And I knew it wasn't from God, you know, and I just started praying the rosary and God was just, again, reaffirming like, more. I have such an amazing plan for you. I am going to take care of you. It's going to be difficult, but I, I can see the whole picture. You can't just trust me in this moment. And I kept driving and um, I got to Nashville and a week later I started therapy. Um, it was the hardest thing. It was, it was so hard, like therapy was so hard, but it was the best, one of the best things I've ever done for myself. Um, so transformative, and um, I can go into more of that if you'd like, but um, it was just, it was amazing. Um, like I said, so hard in the beginning, I needed to be seen twice a week. Therapy was $200 a session. Um, I worked three jobs to pay for the care that I needed. At the time, my medication was $300 a bottle. Um, it was just amazing. Um, I look back and see like how God provided for me. I remember one week of therapy. I remember if I paid the doctor, um, I wouldn't have money to pay my rents. And I didn't tell him that or anything, but he just, I think it was a couple months into the therapy, and he just said, you don't, you don't owe me anything this week. And um, God just provided. Like I have so many stories of how He just provided for me along the way, and it was just remarkable.
0: Wow, amazing! I in that story, there's just so I have so many questions just from that one story. But I just want you to know, I, I found it, it. I I was moved hearing the story and just pushing through the fear and just your beautiful faith, uh, praying that Rosary and. That's what I've seen is that you take something like borderline personality disorder, which, you know, you don't hear a lot of people recovering from. I mean, people do mm-hmm. uh, are really effective treatment plans, but others don't. Uh, many don't. And but, you know, a key difference, I think, besides the excellent help that you received uh, from from humans was your faith in your habits, your spiritual habits. I mean, most people are not grabbing a rosary at their hard times. And I think that I would attribute a lot of your success in recovery here to your faith. What, what were your faith habits that were the mainstays through all of this?
1: Yeah, I, my senior year of high school, uh, my senior year of college, sorry, um, I went to Calcutta, India, to serve with the Missionaries of Charity, the Order of Sisters started by Blessed uh, St. Mother Teresa. Um, And it was there that my faith really took off and I really started to make my faith my own. Um, My junior year of college, FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University students came to um, my campus and they had a program called Varsity Catholic, which they they worked with the student athletes on campus. So it was through them that I went to India. And in India, um, I mean, I was shocked that I even got into the mission trip. (laughs) You know, I had never even been to a soup kitchen, but I loved Mother Teresa, and I just really wanted to go on this trip. I was going through a difficult breakup at the time with my boyfriend, and um, the trip was so healing. We prayed a holy hour every day with the missionaries of charity. We went to Mass every day with them. I served at Mother Teresa's Home for the Dying which was called Kali which was where um, every day our mission, our goal was to love these people that were dying. You know, so many of them had cancer. Um, There was no pain medication to give them. There was one time I literally pulled like worms with a tweezer out of this woman's brain. Um, There was so much suffering and it's so um, the leader of the trip even said when confronted with so much suffering, You know, you, the human heart often goes like in one direction, like towards God or pulls away. And I don't know, there was just something about these people and how alone they were. And I just resonated, resonated with it so much. Um, You know, like I said, as a child, I was very abused and I just grew up feeling Like I was around a lot of people, but I was really alone and I felt very unloved and very unwanted. And there was just something about these women that I took care of that my heart was just drawn to them. And it was really there that I developed a personal relationship with Jesus that led into um, my recovery. Like I see looking back how God lined everything up to be like, this is, you know, her path. And Um, I had never prayed a holy hour before we were in India, (laughs) so we're sitting there, you know, it's like five minutes into the holy hour, and I'm, like, looking at my watch, like, what am I going to do for 55 more minutes, you know, and um, in India, it was so hot, you know, 110 degrees, we're just dripping in sweat, and it it was just such an opportunity to give all these little things to the Lord, and coming home from India, I wanted to keep up that prayer life. So I prayed a Holy hour every day, my senior year of Mm -hmm. college um, and tried to go to daily mass. And I really tried to keep that up while, you know, I was in Nashville going to therapy. I wasn't able to pray a Holy hour every day, but I knew where adoration was like around town, like, okay, this, this church has it from this time. And, um, you know, I worked, I worked a tremendous amount. So I tried to balance like work and therapy and, you know, taking care of myself. But I knew that the number one thing that I could do to really take care of myself was to give those thoughts and fears to the Lord. So I tried to make it to mass as much as I could and to pray, continue my holy hours and to pray a rosary, Um, just constantly giving those little, you know, The pain and the suffering to the Lord because as I was going through therapy you know I'm talking about things that happened when I was a child and just bringing though that darkness that abuse to the light was very painful um and I knew that the only thing that would give me peace was to give that to the Lord not turn to something else that I could self-medicate but have um you know I know that my only source of peace can come from God. So I really tried to to keep that consistent with what I had learned in India.
0: It makes sense to me too that when moving away from your family for the first time and under the circumstances that you did, that you would find out where all the holy hours are around town. Church is like home. And I know I moved 3,000 miles away from my family and going to daily mass, you know, was really hmm, just yeah like you said it gives me gave me that sense of peace Mm -hmm. that that you can't find it anywhere else I mean it's very difficult to find anywhere else you just know it's home no matter what country you're in in, what state you're in it's home
1: yeah I love that
0: Hmm. and do you resonate with that too oh
1: absolutely yeah I just I just felt at home there like I knew that There was like, I, you know, I had hit rock bottom with my eating disorder in high school. And, you know, some people could relate that to like drinking or self-medicating because it is self-medicating. But it didn't give me peace, you know, even at my lowest weight, um, over 35 pounds lighter than I am today. um, I was miserable, you know, like um, it didn't everything that I was searching for when I was acting out with my eating disorder just brought me further and further anxiety you know and i knew that the lord was the only thing that could give me that lasting peace and i love what you said about yeah there's no any any church you go to in the world it's it's home and that's why the mass is the same you know just in a different language but it's it's home it's something we can we can relate to i'm
0: of course, being a therapist, I'm very interested in the type of treatment you received, and a lot of people don't know this, but I specialize in treating, or one of my specialties is treating eating disorders and also uh, borderline personality disorder, and I didn't know that you had been diagnosed with that, so that's, it's a, a special interest to me how they treated you or what, what they used. I I know there's a type of therapy that is very popular called DBT uh, for treating that a disorder, and then also um, there's one fr- that's more popular that I like a lot uh, that has uh, good success rates from uh, England called MBT, which is mentalization-based treatment. A lot of people here in the U.S. don't know about it, but that's that's what I like to use. Um, what kind of treatments helped you the most?
1: Yeah, we did a lot of DPT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Honestly, what helped me the most was just verbalizing, you know, what I had been through. I had never told um, anyone, you know, what had happened. I, you know, even my best friend in high school and college, you know, and when things started to like hit the fan, because like I said, I was raised in a Catholic home, you know, I was one of seven children. We went to mass every Sunday. We oftentimes went to daily mass, like looking back, it was just, you know, people were just shocked, you know, that this was coming out and i felt a lot of times such a sense of shame like am i you know the mind is so powerful like so like my family would be like you're you're lying about us you're defaming us and you know the like i said the mind is so powerful so sometimes i would be like did that really happen like am i really making this up and my doctor was just so amazing at walking me through this process of healing and Honestly, he became such a father figure to me, and I look back and there was a woman that I was going to go to for therapy in Lincoln, Nebraska. But looking back, I see how like everything f- fell through, and how God lined this up um, to go to this doctor in Nashville because he is really what I needed. Like I needed a father figure, someone to believe in me, and he did. Like he really did that for me, and I could tell it wasn't just because he was being paid, like he genuinely cared. Um, And that was, that was honestly like so important and such a healing component for me that he believed in me and that he just affirms that I have what it takes and my past isn't going to define me. Um, So the cognitive behavioral therapy was, was really awesome. And I mean, really hard, but looking back, it was so so healing. And I'm so glad that I, I did that. A lot of times, um, he would have me, I guess it could be called like art therapy. Um, but draw certain things that had happened that I couldn't even, like, I didn't even, couldn't even put into words. Like I was just so traumatized. Um, one time I drew, a uh, correlation of events and he burned like the whole after we had talked about it he burned the whole um, like picture slide that I had done and to see that like go up in flames was like a really powerful visual that I still have to this day of you know I don't I don't have to let that define me and um, just to have that reassurance I still often you know even though it's been nine years, I'd still have my therapy journal and go through it. And, um, and I remember one time my husband was like, if there was a fire, what would you take? And obviously like our children, but then definitely my therapy journal, like so much is in that. Um, it's just really, um, it was a very hard experience, but very, very rewarding. And I know I wouldn't be where I am today without, without that therapy. There's so much shame I feel like associated with therapy and there's such a stigma associated with one's mental health Um, and that's I love talking about that because whenever I go and speak you know I just want to reassure these girls that it's okay to go to therapy Um, it's actually very healthy I think everyone should be in therapy at one point in their life you know it's God has given you and other therapists um, the tools to navigate you know this mess, this muck that we're in and to help us bring beauty from it. and we can't do that on our own we we're not meant to be an island, you know we need other people to help us. We need other people in our lives and I'm just a huge a huge uh, supporter of therapy and people getting the help that they need.
0: yeah I think I agree. I think whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy, which I also do, or certain rituals like burning of something, which I don't think mm-hmm. is technically cognitive behavioral therapy.
1: Yeah. It's,
0: uh, very creative um, and healing. Uh, it sounded, sounded very healing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't know what it would be called, experiential, yeah. something like that. It um, doesn't matter what the kind is. It's, I like what you said. It's, it's that human relationship that's going to heal ultimately. Um, of course, there's God and then God working through humans. And then you mentioned the father. And um, of course, there's God the father, and we can get into that in a second. Uh, but uh, going to a male therapist, is, I think is really important for someone with an eating disorder like anorexia. Um, and you had mentioned maybe some bulimic symptoms, but I know that you had anorexia. Was it, is it two or, or was it anorexia?
1: I was anorexia, and then in college, I really struggled with, with binge eating.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, got it. And so with binge eating, I mean, um, anorexia, a lot of people might not realize it, um, but it, certain therapies like structural family systems therapy and internal family systems, um, the theories behind it say, have noticed that in these girls or women that they had critical fathers And so that's why this going to a male therapist was, I think, so important. And to have that positive um, male uh, presence in your life, because you can't, without it, you don't know what it's like. You don't have that attachment uh, system in the brain uh, or the behavior, the attachment behaviors from male to female, where you can actually trust the man.
1: Absolutely. and. At first, I thought like, there's something wrong with me. Like, why do I need this attention from? Um, like, I even though my dad had treated me so horribly, like I wanted his attention, like I wanted his affection, and um, you know, I used to think like, what is wrong with me that I need this? You know, and but there's not something wrong with me, and there's not something wrong with anyone who's listening that can resonate with my story. Um, that's the way God created. Um, little girls like he created um girls to need their father's affection and love and he created boys to really need you know boys and girls are so different i have two boys and i see like when my husband comes home like how the boys just want to you know they're only two in one and they just he can give them something that i can't you know they run to me when they fall down or they want to be held or they want me to like snuggle with them and read them the story. And they run to him when they want to wrestle and just, you know, rough house and <laughs> jump on the bed. And, you know, it's so, it's so amazing the way God created um, male and female. And he created a girl, a little girl to want the affection and affirmation from her father. And, you know, God's design is for a father to show her, and to affirm in her that she is beautiful, that she is delighted in, that she's enough, that she has what it takes, um, that she is worthy of love. And, you know, certainly an eating disorder or any type of addiction um, or another disorder can happen if a father does give her that appropriate affection and love. But the rates are substantially higher in a girl that does not have that affirming presence of a father in her life and I did not and I can see that I was looking for affection and attention in from other guys and from my from my um you know my athleticism like from from running and you know God certainly worked everything out and he works everything out for his good of course but Looking back, I can see that I put all of my identity in who I was as an athlete when my identity should have been in who I was as a daughter of God. And it's just so important, um, no matter what age. Like, I mean, I wish that I could call my dad today and tell him, you know, about my kids. Like, it, I don't think it ever goes away, you know? That's just the way God created male and female. And I've learned to have other relationships in my life that fill that void. Um, But that's the way, you know, God designed it. And I don't want anyone to think that they're less than or that they have a problem because they have that desire. And my therapist was um, such a pivotal role um, in that, you know, like um, he even came to my wedding. Like, you know, like it was just. It was amazing like what God did through him, but also like outside of therapy, like how he just was that father figure for me. So I think it's really, I think it oftentimes is really good for a woman to go um, see a man in those types of situations because God's going to use him um, as such a source of healing in ways she might not even realize that she needs
0: And your message is not just about the human father. There's something about God the Father. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, our earthly father is supposed to mirror God the Father's love. And I just had such a skewed um, perception of God the Father. And I remember always hearing my uncle talk about God the Father when we went You know, over for like Easter or Christmas, he would always pray to God the Father. And it was something that really intrigued me, but I didn't really learn about until actually I was in India. And one of the missionaries on the trip, he gave a talk on God the Father's love. And I remember going up to him after the talk and just, you know, there are some people that you can just tell they have such an amazing relationship with God and they just radiate joy. And Eric, he was just one of those people. And I remember talking to him and um, asking him, like, how, you know, it just seems like you know God so well. Like, what what is it that you have? And I remember him telling me, like, if you want to know God as father, you have to spend time with him. Like, he is just, he's just like a friend. Like, he wants to be there for you. And he's, he encouraged me because he knew we were praying the holy hours every day and, he said, "You know, he gave me a list of um, it's it's the acts: uh, adoration, contrition, um, uh, thanksgiving, and supplication. The acronym, and I I prayed that in the holy hours. So adoring the Lord, um, being sorry for sins, asking Him, um, thanking Him for what He's given us, and then asking, um, you know, asking Him for certain needs that you may have." And it was through that and through just talking to him as a regular person. Uh, I know that might sound funny, but I would just talk to him as like a friend. And over time, I could see like my relationship with God the Father really grow. And I would go um, oftentimes into prayer and just say like, I don't see myself as beauty, beautiful, and you created me as a da- as your daughter, like, show me what that looks like, and I would just be silent the rest of the holy hour, and just allowing um, his grace to fill me was really important, um, that silence to let him fill me up was critical, um, I think a lot of times we go into prayer, and it's like, okay, we have to read this, and we have to say this, and we have to pray the rosary, and those are all amazing things, but for someone, I think starting out with wanting to develop that deep relationship with the Lord, I think you know, even if you set your watch for five minutes, um, just to spend that time in quiet, it really helped me grow in my relationship with God. And I, yes, my ministry, I definitely, I definitely um, try to give that message to the girls because I think it's so important for them to know that. Even though they may not have had an earthly father, they have God the Father who is always there, um, who is always working for our good, who is always interceding for us, um, and He wants to love them. He does love them with an everlasting love, and um, just to give them that positive message, I think is really important.
0: I totally agree with you. I I pray. I do Lexio Divina, and oh. after I'm with that, I I do. Um, basically some meditation where you mentioned silence. I try to clear my mind of thoughts, feelings, you know, clear my body of feelings, you might say. Um, Just kind of calm everything down. And then I say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Mm -hmm. I used to say that. And then I read from Paul about the spirit of adoption and and that Paul wrote about the spirit of adoption. And Father, (laughs) it changed from speak, Lord, your servant is listening to speak father or speak heavenly father, your son is listening. Mm,
1: that's beautiful.
0: So completely different than what yeah. and it is about that. It's it's love, it's closeness, it's he's someone you can trust. It's just such a beautiful and important message. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that part, not just with me, but with our audience and with the girls that you work with. And I'm interested in this. You mentioned the girls that you work with. Um, who? What? What are you doing? I want to hear more about that. Oh
1: yes, absolutely. So we have um, support groups over um, around the country, and obviously, I'm not able to be, you know, all around the country. But I like to train certain women in different states and lead them through um, the some curriculum that I have created and designed. Um, just to build community among others you know I think so so many times we can just turn to social media and feel like we're connecting with people but we're really not so I really want to bring made in his image Um, I've really been working hard on it especially this year to bring it to more cities to um, just to build that community among among these women so that they can have others that they can reach out to, and you know, reach out to when they need help or just a friend to listen. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm really um, proud of all the the, the women that have um, stepped up and you know are leading these groups and the women that are coming. Um, I I want to see us in all the states, you know, many cities in the states the years to come. I just, I, it's just a huge dream of mine to just build this community and then one day have hopefully a conference for Made in His Image where all these women can come and meet because I'm just really a firm believer and we're not meant to be alone. And when we feel alone, we just isolate and just it's kind of like a spiral downhill. And I just want these women to feel supported, to feel lifted up. So that's what we're working on now.
0: If a woman or girl is listening right now and wants to start her own group, yeah, and how would she or join a group? Where would she go to find that information? Yes,
1: on my website, madeinhisimage.org. There is a place where it says join a group. So they just click that tab and it's an email that's sent right to me with the state that they're in and I'll get right back to them um, to tell them, you know, if there's a group in the area. Or if um, I can teach them, to, you know, I, I would get on the Skype call with them and just teach them um, how to lead a group in the area. It's, it's really peer led. So it's not like they need, you know, all this experience to lead this group. It's just a bunch of women coming together and talking. So it's not, um, it's nothing daunting at all. But yeah, it's right on my website, madeinhisimage.org. Okay,
0: so you have the website, the peer group, you're, you're tweeting, and I know the, the huh. tweets are worth it's worth signing up, you know. I forgot what it's called subscribing to your that's what it is subscribing to your um, Twitter source. I don't know the language, Twitter feed, Twitter feed. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, subscribing to your Twitter feed uh, because daily you're, you're gonna is it daily messages? Oh, or,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: every day you're gonna get messages such as. You know, you were created in the image and likeness of God. You're beautiful. You're worth it. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Do I have that pretty much right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I yeah, we we have a lot of tweets going out on Twitter and then we have Instagram and Facebook. Um so yeah, there's all different messages going out on there um throughout the day. So I'm trying to fill that with good content for all of the women.
0: Great. Well, sadly that's all we have time for today. Uh, Maura Presler, I want to thank you for taking the time today to offer hope and guidance for our audience.
1: Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Thomas.
0: You're welcome. I'm licensed marriage and family therapist, Thomas Schmier, and you've been listening to the Healing and Peace Show. To find out more about my worldwide services, which include life coaching that addresses how to improve your self-image and individual or family therapy, geared towards helping individuals with eating disorders, visit healingandpeace.com. To keep informed about future guests and show topics, subscribe to my blog at healingandpeace.com blog. You can find my social media handles at healingandpeace.com and healingandpeace.com blog. And I just would like to thank everyone for joining us today. And until next time, may God bless you with healing and peace.